we need is a few good taters. What's taters, Brussels? What's taters, huh? Potatoes. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Lovely big golden chips with a nice piece of fried fish. <coughs> Even you couldn't say no to that. Hello, we are Bloobcast. I'm Rob. I'm Ewan. And I'm James. But the question is, why are we Bloobcast? Yes, precious. So today we are talking about the amazing fantasy movie uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two, hour, uh, two Hours. <laughs> sorry, The Two Towers. It, uh, it's, 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 <laughs> more, it's more than Yeah, two I was going to say, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> almost double two hours if you watch the extended version. Uh, uh, I Which I did. Version, yeah, like, I did as well. Almost... Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, but um, this is a, a fantasy movie that's kind of... Um, I want to say it's kind of kick-started what we perceive today as modern fantasy in the form of television and film and mm. cinema. And it's it's amazing, it's fun, it's full of character, full of vibrant imagery that you could only find in New Zealand. And, um, <laughs> yes... <laughs> This magical place called New Zealand, and mm. um, it's it's colourful, it's lovely. It's based on Tolkien's epic. We've already done an episode on the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, so this is a continuation of the saga, the Blue Cast Lord of the Rings saga. Mm. Please so, check yes. that one yes. out if you haven't already. Oh, yes, please check that out. You can uh, now, thanks to the expertise of you, and you can actually watch it on YouTube as well. Yeah. So, mm. um, and you can listen to it on Spotify. Yeah, yeah nearly a now. year later, yeah. it's still one of my favourite episodes we've done. Mm. Yeah, cool. no, it's nice. Okay, it's so cool Check it out. I want to go in and talk about my history with the two towers. So, like, obviously, I enjoyed Fellowship when I saw it in the cinema when I was about eight years old. As we spoke about that in the last episode, but I think it was the lead up to the two towers coming up around November, December two thousand two, which is what really cemented my like love and obsession for Lord of the Rings. Like. I think I first remember seeing like the trailer for the two towers when I went to see the James Bond film Die Another Day in the cinema, which isn't the best James Bond movie. It's, I'd argue it's pro- probably one of the worst ones, but as a nine-year-old, it was the first time seeing that in a, a Bond film in the cinema, so it was exciting. My friends call me Jinx. My friends call me James Bond. Wow, now there's a mouthful. Who sent you? Your mama. Also, I was very excited because there's a trailer for the two towers, and I was. And I think around that same time, um, my grandma gave me a newspaper supplement, which was talking about like the two towers, probably from the Daily Mail. Uh, but it was really exciting reading about what was going to happen in the new movie and kind of interviews of the cast. And my dad also got an issue of Total Film magazine, which had interviews of all the cast members. And I, I kept going back to that over the years and reading stuff. Like, I remember one thing that was amazing to me was. Orlando Bloom said a lot of his sword fighting was real and it was inspired by a lot of, I guess, Japanese samurai films, which you can kind of see in the finished film. Mm. Yeah, and the, I think the Christmas yeah, the film came Yeah. Well, the Christmas the film came out, 2002, me and my siblings got a PlayStation 2, and my mum's aunt got me the Lord of the Rings The Two Towers video game, which was a lot of fun, although I was very confused when I first started playing it because it starts off with levels based on the Fellowship of the Ring and then, of course, like halfway through the game, aim goes to the two towers up. But 
it worked in my favour because I didn't get past the fellowship levels until after I'd seen the two towers in the cinema, which was, I, this is mad how I can still remember the date. It was the 5th of January, 2003, that I saw the two towers in the cinema. And of course, much like fellowship, I loved it. Um, for my 10th birthday, I got a box set of Helm's Deep action figures that came with Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Theoden, and Halidur, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, the elf guy who dies at Helm's Deep. And that action figure was exclusive to the set. And then last year I went to see the two towers in the cinema alongside Fellowship and Return of the King. And in fact it was the day I went to see the two towers that I bought the Pokemon manga that I mentioned in the previous episode. And like sadly the two towers was the viewing experience that was slightly hindered because I was sat in front of four teenage boys who were talking through the whole, whole film who were clearly only there because it was the only film on that they could get in to see that wasn't called Peter Rabbit 2. Don't blame honestly, but <laughs> yeah, I was able to persevere through that and I still had a good time in spite of them being annoying. So yeah, I think that wraps it up for me. Lovely. It's, re cool. it's really interesting, thinking about the CGI in Peter Rabbit 2, uh, it's kind <laughs> of amazing how I don't know. I don't think we've progressed much in CGI design since The Two Towers because, of course, this was the first film where we saw Gollum kind of close up and he's this full motion capture CGI creature and it still looks pretty great today and yeah, I don't know, those rabbits in the Peter Rabbit movie <laughs> are very kind of meh by comparison. And it's so, um, like tw yeah. 20 years yeah, later. It's mad so it's that Gollum came three years yeah. after Jar Jar Binks, who hasn't aged nearly as well as Gollum has. Do you know what's uh, yeah, an amazing yeah. uh, bit of CGI that uh, even to this day I can't believe how good it is, is Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, like, yeah. I think that might yeah. be the best CGI thing I've ever seen. It it's actually unbelievable that it's not. Yeah. I actually thought it was an actor walking around, but it wasn't. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, I realized <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a tangent, but... No, I know what you mean, though. There was That was all motion capture as well, yeah. But, no, yeah. It, was, it was this film, and to be fair, it was Phantom Menace as well that really uh, got the ball rolling on cinematic motion capture uh, performance. And, of course, the hilarious thing is that Andy Serkis has made an entire career out of motion capture performance which is so, yeah no, and it's, it's, it's all based on Gollum really and 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 Jar 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 was Jar Jar was the key to all this he really was yeah. so I'm, I'm giving I'm giving him credit there I'm giving him credit Jar Jar is a key to all this I can't remember exactly what I said in the fellowship podcast that we did but I do remember being too young to get into Lord of the Rings when it first came out my brother was obsessed with it and he had all the DVDs and he'd watch them over and over again um, I actually don't think I watched the films uh, in length and uh, until after I played the video game. So we had the video game on PS2, which I know Rob is a fan of, and uh, which is essentially an adaptation of both The Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers. And I remember watching my brother play the game and loving the hell out of it, and also playing a lot of that myself. I love playing Aragorn, and also unlocking the secret character, which is Decidador. Um and it was just amazing. Then, a bit later on, I did actually watch the films. Uh, I think I was probably in my teens at that point, and I was getting into them. I watched both the cut and then the uncut version. I did a marathon with some friends, and I watched the uncut edition along with the uh, two other movies. And I was just obsessed with Lord of the Rings. And also, I read the books, as I 
probably mentioned in the last podcast um, at university. I remember I just kind of binge read the whole lot of them. And I remember loving them. I remember reading through the uh, the appendices. I loved um, uh, when the Fellowship actually gets broken apart and you do follow mm. like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli mm. going across Middle Earth. You can follow it across the map. And it's a, it, it's a little bit similar to the Pokemon manga because you can see Red doing that in his journey oh. as well the manga. Yeah. I, I didn't really mention that in the last podcast. Oh, that is an interesting but, um, connection. I never really thought of that. Hmm. I thought about it as soon as I saw the map and it says this is where Red starts and this is where he finished up. I thought, oh, this is just like how when I was reading Lord of the Rings. And you can see the characters. They were there many chapters ago and now they're here. And it's like, oh, wow, this is a, a, a functioning world, as it mm. were. And I love that. Yeah, um, that um, that I actually reminds add... me, my granddad had... Because um, my granddad, I sadly never really met him because he died when I was three months old, but he was a massive Tolkien fan. So we inherited oh. a lot of his old Tolkien oh. books. And one of the books he had was this map book called The Journeys oh, wow. of Frodo, which showed like all the journeys of, like, of all the characters and all the routes they took over Middle-earth. Oh, wow. wow. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, James. That is, that's pretty Consin- Continue um, your history of of Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, I won't take much more of the time. Um, so, I just loved, the, you know, following these characters throughout this world. I loved the books. I should add that I don't remember t- the books too well because it was so long ago when I read them. I remember even in the last podcast, like, <laughs> kind of and I said, I can't remember, oh, that didn't, that happens in the film and it doesn't happen in the books. So, yeah, and you guys were like, yeah, it does. And I was like, oh, I can't remember that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I do, but I love, I love the Two Towers. I watched it again recently. I watched the cut version hmm. um and i'm gonna get into a few things my few of my thoughts on that because there are a lot of things i love about the uncut version uh mm. a particular scene that i mentioned to you guys yesterday but oh. yeah i think i'll conclude my oh story. yeah there's a scene i like in it but i'm gonna get into that later when i discuss a certain character yeah mm-hmm. mm. like I, I think i said this in the last one but i have a very storied relationship with lord of the rings in general um two towers i didn't see in the cinema uh I, my first film in the cinema was Return of the King with Lord of the Rings. Um, so I'm trying to remember when I first saw Two Towers. I'm not entirely sure, but I think I'm, I think I saw the film before I read the book. It, it's hard for me to determine whether I saw the film or read the book first, but because I, I, I read I read the book as when I was quite young. I want to say it was about nine or ten, and. Uh, yeah, because my dad was a big fan of Lord of the Rings, and and he kind of got me into it quite, you know, quite thoroughly. And we talked about it a lot. I used to draw maps of uh, all of the various like locations. I remember drawing a map of like, yeah, I drew a map of Helm's Deep at one point. Oh wow! And uh, I and I and I did. That's impressive. Yeah, and I had the Warhammer of Lord of the Rings, and I I built uh, the Deeping Wall. like a model for all the characters to be on so that they could fight on the the helm's deep deeping wall stuff uh i even made i even made one where it was like the blown up deeping wall after saruman oh wow that's so cool yeah yeah i've I've got them somewhere um all of these different yeah like you know these these wall parts of uh helm's deep and uh yeah and i painted loads of the characters so that was that was all part of my kind of obsession with Lord of the Rings, but Two Towers especially. I think I was really obsessed with the Battle of Helm's Deep growing up. Oh yeah, that was really Uh, cool. Because I I think, yeah, it's a really cool battle, and I think 
what I like about it more than the Battle of the Pelennor Fields is I feel like we really see a lot of uh, strategy mm. involved. Whereas I feel like with, with the Pelennor Fields and the Siege of uh, Minas Tirith, you know, it's really just uh, the horses charging into uh, the Orc army. We see the, the Mumakil uh, Oliphants arrive a bit later and they're chucking rocks into Minas Tirith. Whereas Helm's Deep, you get this real sense of like, there's all these different strategies. There's the Tatsudo uh, shield formation that the Urukai use. They have the ladders coming oh, up. Yeah. There's the ballista uh, uh, catapult thing uh, or cross giant crossbow that they use. And of course, there's the gunpowder which Saruman concocts. Uh, concocts. Um, so it's a really uh, detailed battle. And I know that it was one of the first things that in pre-production they they kind of worked on you know they started building the model of helm's deep and all of this stuff because they realized it would be such a big uh part of the films anyway so yeah no it captured my imagination the battle of helm's deep specifically in two towers but also things like um i always really loved saruman yeah i've got uh, a whole thing about saruman i've always I'll talk i've always yeah, I'm a big fan of Christopher Lee in general, and so it was. But but Saruman was definitely my introduction to him as an actor. And the wonderful thing mm. about Christopher Lee is that once you see him as Saruman, you su you suddenly see him in everything because he was in all, all these movies from the last fifty to sixty years. And, yeah, Gremlins uh, too. Gre Gremlins too, baby. And he was in great, great role in that. And around this time, he was in Star Wars. He was um, Count Dooku in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. One Dooku. of the best things in those movies. It was yeah. very. It was, yeah. It was very exciting as a kid when you realise that. Oh wow, it's the same actor. You know, and you, you start mm. to put the pieces together of of who's who in Hollywood and and all this stuff. Mm. But um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. So long story short, I read the books pretty religiously as a child. I played with the Warhammer, uh, I watched the films, I watched the extended cut of Two Towers a lot, uh, and uh, Return of the King a lot, but Two Towers I watched loads. It was when I was watching the extended cut for this, I suddenly realised, oh wow, I remember all of this quite vividly, you know, because it was all quite, it, you know, I watched it so much as a kid. And my mm. other f funny thing is, uh, I did play the Two Towers PlayStation 2 video game. Uh, I made it up to... There was a cave troll in the forest. Oh, yeah, I know exactly. I got, I, I got killed by it, and then I never played the game ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so that oh, was, I remember that. that to be fair, that, that, yeah, that was really done. difficult. Yeah, I, yeah, I played Return of the King a lot, and yeah. I finished the game of that. So, oh, Return of yeah, the King's I, the best but game. But I never, I never finished, or ne I never, I never... Yeah, it's, it's I, an absolute I, banger. I never got into the Two Towers PS2 game. Maybe I'm sure I have a copy of it somewhere, so maybe I need to I, jump back. I still have. It, yeah, the, I, I, I was I was have, more about Return yeah. of the King. I still have my copy from Christmas 2002. So I've had this PS2 copy for nearly 20 <laughs> years, just about. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. So oh yeah, all um, of my all of my PS2 games are ancient at this point. Peter Jackson, I think he's gone on record to say the Two Towers out of all the films was the hardest to assemble due to it because it's basically the middle chapter. So a lot of the film ended up yeah. being shaped through the editing. Like but I think they did a good job of making the mm. film movie feel like not just like the a long middle section that it feels like a movie in its own right. And I think 
the opening is in particular is yeah. really effective yeah. because it in- reintroduces us to everyone and reminds us where we left off in the previous film. So we start off with mm. um, the flashback to Gandalf's battle with the Balrog, which reminds us of what happened yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. it. Yeah, it, and then because mm. it. After we see him falling, we then cut and see what happens later. We, we see him have all this long ass battle with the Balrog. It kind of foreshadows his return. And um, one thing is, the studio wanted a yeah, prologue yeah. at the start of the movie, and, the, and Peter Jackson was like, "No, we're not having a prologue." So the, I think that scene was kind of a compromise. It was very smart. It was very good because, yeah, like if you say if you just you missed the first one and you're coming into this going, "Oh God, I'm watching this weird." wizard elf <laughs> movie you know it is a weird film but and and you go into it you think what what's going on but then you kind of again it's kind of like with the first film so you see this kind of weird old wizard guy and he's fighting a giant demon and it right off the bat you go okay we're in fantasy land now and uh but then you get the fall of gandalf and you realize oh he's quite a powerful wizard because he's still able to do this fight even when he's falling yeah. and uh but then of course you know, we then think, oh, okay, he's died. It's in Frodo's dream. He wakes up. He goes, Gandalf. You know, and they, you get you get the sense. Okay, so Gandalf's died, and then, but then, of course, later on, we get the return of of Gandalf. So Mithrandir, mm. uh, Saruman, as he should have been. Um, yes, so, that, that's yeah. Brilliant. You get this wonderful. Yeah. yeah so, so mm. it's a great it's a great idea because it just you know, if 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 for whatever reason you forgot that Gandalf existed, here he is at the start. <laughs> to remind you because he's going to show up later on in the movie you know one... he also goes full dude yeah, guy yes he does as well which i appreciate one dun 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 dun, yeah. dun. one thing i will <laughs> say though is they do a really good job of, of like building up gandalf's kind of ret- well not kind of building up but kind of keeping it mystery because there's a part where um mary and pippin are bought to gandalf in the woods but we are led to believe it's saruman because we only see him from an angle we only see like his shoulder Sounds like orc mischief to me. They come with fire. They come with axes. Gnawing, biting, breaking, hacking, burning. Destroyers and usurpers curse no. them. You don't understand. We're hobbits. Halflings. Giant folk. Maybe you are. And maybe. The White Wizard will know. White Wizard. Saruman. And he looks yeah. kind of like Saruman from where he's standing. Yeah, yeah. However, all this is ruined because the, mm. the trailers showed that Gandalf was alive. Uh, oh, that's, that's, that's to, to that, be That's very, that's very funny. To but. be fair, I already knew because my dad... Um, my dad had read the book, so when we came out of the cinema from Fellowship, my dad was like, oh, he comes back in the next one. So I remember telling my friends at school, saying, no, Gandalf's oh, dead. Okay. I'm like... Thanks, thanks Dad. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't care too much about spoilers when I was like eight, nine years old, so... Yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Oh, wow. Well. But, um... Oh dear! One last thing about the Balrog, actually, I saw a very funny meme saying like that actually no CGI was used. It was actually just captured footage of Ian McKellen defending his colleagues from the Balrog or something. Well, that's like that. well, that's oh, very I, accurate. I, yeah, no. Oh, I, yeah. I love those kind of memes. I go, oh, I didn't script this movie. Hayden Christensen just started killing children and wrote a whole trilogy about it. <laughs> ah. I think it, actually, I think Two Towers might be the most memeable Lord of the Rings. I have a point about this. The, bit yeah. the, the guy, 
It has most of like the memes, like the popular Lord of the Rings memes. Like it's got, yeah. looks yeah. like meat's back on the menu, boys. And we've got, yeah. and we've got two dance remix songs. We've got not only Potatoes, Boy the Mashup, yeah. and of course the infamous, they're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. The guy with the arrow as oh, well. Yeah. But one of the few good. Oh yeah. <laughs> one of the few good things about the Hobbit Legend. movies was just as they were finishing filming and and Orlando Bloom was still in his costume, Peter Jackson took out on an iPad mm. and filmed Orlando Bloom recreating. They're taking the Hobbits to Isengard. Oh yeah. They've taken the Hobbits to Isengard. Do Isengard! Do Isengard! Do Isengard! I rewatched a bit of it. It was really sweet. It was during lockdown. Uh, the Lord of the Rings cast got together and did a Zoom. Oh meeting. yeah, I saw that. That was really and, cool. Um, <laughs> and it was super cute. But one of the things they got Ian McKellen to do was that he said he 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 goes up to the camera and he goes, he goes, Gandalf. Yes, that's what they used to call me, Gandalf the Gay. <laughs> 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 oh my god, James, are you okay? <laughs> no, I'm just oh, laughing. Oh, <laughs> not Return of the King yet. We haven't the weird laughing yet. Gandalf. Yes, that was what they used to call me. Gandalf the Gay. Oh, do you know what I love? Um, where the, the reveal of... Well, well, Gandalf is like undercover. He's disguised himself with a grey cloak going to Fyrdon. Mm. And, like, Fyrdon's possessed by um, mm. uh, Wormtongue. Um... Well, actually, no, but uh, by Saruman in the uh, film, Saruman. interesting yeah. enough. Yeah. But in the books, um, it's actually tonics that uh, Wormtongue has like kind of poisoned yeah, him with yeah, um, yeah. medicines and stuff. Like, he's drugged him essentially. But in this, yeah. I think it's more interesting. I think they use a spell on him. I think yeah, that's mm. quite cool. That's cooler. Yeah. Um, but it's a bit where it goes like, uh, uh, you have no dominion over me, uh, uh. and he just reveals his white cloak and he's like, <laughs> 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 uh, I can imagine that being a big laugh from you, James. Is is I, I literally was. I think my brother overheard me laughing in the other room. I was just like, uh, uh, uh. Okay, so speaking of Saruman, I like that in this movie, Sauron. He's more of a background presence, and Saruman's taken the center stage as the villain. So, because yeah. the central conflict is about him, Saruman attacking Rohan, and basically just doing Sauron's dirty work. I think. As he spoke about, Christopher Lee is fantastic and clearly excels in the role. He's taken centre stage as the villain, and it's easy to see why they the, the mm. infamous scene from Return of the King that ends up in the extended edition was intent when they filmed it. It was intended to be the mm. end of the Two Towers, which is why they they struggled so much to, to find a place for it in Return of the King because it felt 
out of place in that movie. Yeah. It, I have to be honest, without that scene, I was so confused. Because mm. Saruman is kind of presented as the main villain in both the first two movies and just doesn't show up in the third one. It's literally that. It's very frustrating. And I remember Christopher Lee at the time when the premiere came out, he, they said, oh, were you surprised? And he said, I was surprised because I wasn't in it. <laughs> you know, and he just think the poor, yeah. the poor guy was the biggest Tolkien fan in the universe. Like, he was He's obsessed. the only one that met Tolkien. Yeah. He was the only one who met Tolkien. His entire life, he always wanted to play Gandalf. And he even mentioned that to Ian McKellen. He said, you know, I always wanted to play Gandalf. You know, it was, he's so <laughs> sweet about it. So it must have been yeah. so surreal to film a scene in Return of the King only for them to turn around and go, sorry, you're not actually in it, you know. Great, okay, yeah, you know, it's a hell? shame. It is a shame. But oh, hey, he got a great role in the first two films, so. A new power is rising. Its victory is at hand. This night, the land will be stained with the blood of Rohan. March to hell's deep. Leave none alive. To war! I love how the, the Rohirrim have a really kind of more Celtic and Viking influence in their design. It's like... Because mm. a lot of like the Middle Earth culture mm. in the film, which is really cool, they all have kind of Sa distinguished looks to them. Saxon, <laughs> Saxon man, come on, that's the actual Saxon. 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 <laughs> it's it's because um, J.R. Tolkien was a huge Anglo-Saxon fan. He talked yeah. about the actually. Do you know what? Interesting. Fact I will not have way. the Saxons besmirched this way. They are a proud now, culture of several hundred <laughs> years. <laughs> But, but once, right, uh, in just because obviously Tolkien's a huge Beowulf fan, Anglo-Saxon mm. fan. At one point, he actually came into um, it was Oxford. He taught that. Oh, he did a translation. He came into of the halls of Oxford. Yes, he did. He did. I've, I've got I've, it on my shelf. I've got it on my shelf. There we go. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, there's a. He was at one point apparently he dressed himself in. Uh, like Anglo-Saxon armor or like prop armor or something like, came in and started shouting in old English to the students. Oh my <laughs> god! That is a, like, that, you can read about this. Like, that's a badass, that's a, that's adorable. Yeah, Tolkien. Yeah. Um, you get the sense that he was a very cool professor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and is a huge nerd in general. Like, and which explains all... a lot, you know. Uh, yeah, there are some existing videos of Tolkien talking, and yeah, I recommend mm, watching yeah, them. There's like documentaries really, and stuff. They're really interesting. I mean, he was a really interesting yeah. guy. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think um, I think it might have been something I mentioned in the last episode, but ended up cutting it for time or something. But Ian McKellen based Gandalf's accent on Tolkien. Mm. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. The interesting thing with the Rohirrim, yeah, is that they are the Saxons, as you said, or oh, Vikings or Celtic. No, they're the Saxons. But the, <laughs> the, the idea was that, or Tolkien, or at least what the filmmakers kind of hit upon, was this idea that the Rohirrim were the Saxons if they had had horses during the Battle of Hastings. So famously, oh. if you look at the bike... If you look at the bio tapestry, which famously catalogues what happened at the Battle of Hastings, you'll see that the Normans were all on horses, whereas the Saxons f famously weren't. And so it ended up with this 
you know, which which is a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a retelling. I'm pretty sure the Saxons did have horses, but they didn't necessarily have them at that battle. And they famously um, had the shield wall, which was then broken, and then the Normans won the battle, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so the idea is that what if the Rohirrim, or what if the Saxons had had horses? And so that's mm. where the Rohirrim were kind of born from. Uh, was this mm. idea and it's a wonderful yeah because it's such a visual it's such a cool visual look mm. the saxons on horses or the rohirrim they look great you yeah. know that and the way that they all have horses like as part of their um design and their you know it's part of the flag of of rohan and uh uh yeah it's it's wonderful to see it and uh and on their helmets they have a little horse sculpture mm, yeah. it's great yeah. you know there's so much yeah. attention to detail and yeah. it, it's it's so magical seeing it it reminds me of something else that I remember seeing in the like all the appendices of the DVD of the or Blu-rays as they were, um, and that is that Peter Jackson didn't want to make like a typical fantasy movie because a lot of the movies at the time were kind of stuff like the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which was not a good movie. Not your usual punctual self. <sighs> Where's my dragon's eye? I have it. Really? Show it to me. Let him go first, and it's yours. But yeah. he, he said, I don't want to approach it like that. No. I no. want to do this kind of like a historical drama. So we're going to pretend Lord of the Rings was real. It actually happened. Mm. And I think it, that approach worked really well. Yeah. I agree. That was a really big part of Lord of the Rings scholarship, weirdly enough. A lot yeah. of people ask Tolkien is the idea that what is Middle Earth supposed to be the Earth thousands of years ago? And Tolkien was always mm. kind of like why are you asking me this you nerds like <laughs> but yeah like it was a genuine thing that pe people were obsessed with it this real idea of oh are you is, is the idea that middle earth is actually supposed to be part of history and you go no it's a <laughs> it's a fantasy story I mean, you but, do get that kind hey, of sense the, the people, books, it, people it, love that you can, you, know? you can kind of see that but of course it is a fantasy story but it does feel like mm. you're reading through this big old history tome when you read it yeah yeah, yeah. no i know totally it's there's, he's he's left some little hints here and there, and like in, in the preface, uh, the like prefaces and the um, appendices, mm. where like he has hinted that it is old England and like the kind of Albion of like of that time as a forgotten part of like England as it were. Right, right. Um, they, he, I think he, he suggested that like like hobbits still exist but they're now slightly taller or something like that okay. like things <laughs> you know they, they just, like there are he's the english <laughs> you know yeah um, right. um, he's written little things like that here and there that like you know it, this is a bygone time and this is a mythology like a mythology and whatnot so i don't know i don't know what tolkien was intending to do but it's a lot of fun if we uh, if we if we go back to the row yeah, yeah. for a second uh because i i, yeah. I 
because I want to talk about, so Two Towers is a personal favorite. I'm not going to say it's the best one. I'm pretty, I mm. I think I said last time, I think, I think that Fellowship of the Ring is the most um, uh, successful film in what it's doing. Mm. Yeah. But Two Towers is a personal favorite. favorite and it's entirely, yeah, Two Towers is a personal favorite though because mm. of the Rohirrim and their story, because I feel like, in the grand scheme of Lord of the Rings, you get a lot of very magical and very powerful characters, right? You know, you've either got the elves who are all magical, or, or you've got Gondor, where they're this in like ancient and very powerful city. Rohan, for me, has always felt like normal people. Yeah, okay. Who are actually I get caught? That. Yeah, yeah, that they're, they're caught up in this epic story of of you know of of magic and monsters. Yeah. And and a, an evil wizard casts his spell on on the king, and and the the kingdom falls to ruin, and it feels very Arthurian, yeah, uh, and very and, and a very fairy tale. We we discussed this last year, and I think I agree with James that yeah, it's less Beowulf, um, because Beowulf, like yeah, that whole story is just and then and then a giant troll marches into the. Uh, the keep, <laughs> but um, whereas yeah, I don't know. I think I'm I'm leaning more towards it's like a kind of uh, Mallory uh, King Ar- Le Mort de Arthur story where Arthur's this kind yeah. of like weak weakened king who's kind of brought down by uh, the knights who betray him, Lancelot and uh, and Mordred, oh, are these yeah, two um, knights who yeah, we who, get that um, with, um, who betray Arthur, you know, and you kind of get that with Grima. Yes, because yeah. I've got yeah. Grima. He was yeah, a man of Rohan, I... like, um, and he's such Brad yeah, Dourif. Yeah. He does such a great job at playing this slimy creep, and like he's he's an incel mm. basically because he sold out to Saruman <laughs> to get with Eowyn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's mentioned. Yeah. That's mentioned in the book, so it's quite an old idea that yeah that he, yeah, he, and did, it, he did it for Eowyn. He's very he's yeah. subtly hinted at in the film because he said, um, "Aomer says to him, too long have you watched over my sister." Because and also Aomer mm. asks him, "What was the price, Grima?" And then Grima looks over at Eowyn who's just walking by. Why do you lay these troubles on an already troubled mind? Can you not see? Your uncle is wearied by your malcontent, your warmongering. Warmongering? How long is it since Saruman born you? What was the promised price, Grima? When all the men are dead, you will take your share of the treasure. Great scene. Yeah. It's a great moment. Yeah. Do you know, I think you're all right. I can't actually remember exactly what uh, instance you're referring to when I spoke on the last podcast here, and it's so long ago. Sure. <laughs> but, sure, um, sure. Uh, I do think you're all right because you know, I mean, Rob's mentioned like Celtic uh, like influence and whatnot, and we've discussed the Anglo-Saxon influence and the Arthurian influence. I think what makes Lord of the Rings the most successful and memorable kind of story in the fantasy genre and in the sort of sense of myths as well, is that it's an amalgamation of everything. Mm. So there is, I do agree that there is a bit of Celtic stuff in there. Yeah. I do think there's, a, I agree there's a bit of Arthurian stuff and Beowulfian stuff. Mm. I also think there's a lot of um, 
like classic stuff involved in there, like Roman and Greek oh, yeah. mythology. Yeah. And Shakespearean mythology as well. Mad mm. Kings. Yeah, um, you know, that. kind of like tragedies and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. I think what one of the reasons why Lord of the Rings resonates so much is that it is the ultimate epitome of a modern mythology, you know, like yeah. You look at time periods. We have these stories and myths. Like we, have, you know, the, you look at like Roman Greece. They've had the Iliad, the Odyssey, and then we look at the Anglo-Saxons. They had Beowulf, the Arthurian period. They had King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings is like our version of that. It's the modern day mythology, mm-hmm. and it's it, it's taken influence. It's built up itself from previous mythologies. Yeah. It's really cool. I see that. Mm. So it's it's interesting to think like yeah. Yeah, like you look at other things, Game of Thrones and stuff like that. That itself is kind of like an, the next step of that. It's an ongoing thing. Um, mythologies grow over time, and they uh, they found themselves on the ones told before them. So mm. as lo- as long as there's a magic sword somewhere involved, we'll say it's mythology. <laughs> Red Wall has a magic sword. <laughs> yeah. And a snake who's apparently like Satan in Paradise Lost. <laughs> um, I'm not allowed to talk about this legally. I'm gonna just. We, we, we've 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 got an injunction on James talking about Paradise Lost. <laughs> okay, shall but, we uh, go on to Helm's <laughs> Deep? Now? Your words, not mine. <laughs> we can go on to Helm's okay, Deep. So yeah. I'd argue that Helm's Deep is possibly the best battle sequence in the trilogy. Although my favourite is the Battle of the Black Gate in the next movie, and I think Helm's Deep is a. Uh, probably oh, a nice. big reason of why a lot of people consider it their favourite of the trilogy. Like, it's really well done, has like a massive scale, and it's filled to brim with great moments, such as um, the immortal quote from Legolas Shall I describe it to you, or would you like me to find mm. you a box? What's happening out there? Shall I describe it to you, or would you like me to find you a box? <laughs> And I love um, Legolas and Gimli having their friendly com- Oh yeah. I love Legolas and Gimli having their friendly competition. See over oats, so you could hit all the most Urukai. Gimli reluctantly saying to Aragorn, mm. "You need to toss me across the gap." And the incredibly true to Tolkien moment <laughs> where Legolas shoots Uruks with his bow while surfing down some stairs on a shield. Just how Tolkien wrote it. That's exactly how Tolkien wrote it. He wrote it exactly like that. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I love the fact that the. The story of Legolas and Gimli um, counting how many people they kill that that comes from Tolkien. So again, Tolkien yeah, had a really is, good is, sense of humor. Is in the book, and yeah. I love the bit the last bit where, they, yeah. where Gimli ends up killing most of them, and then um, and Legolas shoots it, and it's like it's still alive. I've and it's moving. And he was twitching. He was twitching because he had my axe embedded in his nervous system. See, that scene, yeah. I only watched the extended versions last year during the last lockdown. Mm. That scene provided me with closure of who finally won. Because in the theatrical version, that scene's not in it, so you, mm. you don't know who won. Final count, 42. 42? Oh, that's not bad for a pointy-eared elvish princeling. <laughs> I myself am sitting pretty on 43. Forty-three. He was already dead. He was twitching. He was twitching, cause he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. Yeah, no, of course. And there's a lot of moments watching the extended cut for this. Um, there's a lot of moments where I, I understood why they cut it, but you did feel like, wow, 
that should have been in the original cut. Yeah, it was, I, yeah. I, I was mainly I was mainly thinking about the Boromir yeah, scene. I want to go on to like, that later, mm, but I wanted to, yeah. there's some, some more Helm's Deep stuff I want to talk about. Okay, let's talk Helm's Deep. Yeah, there's a controversial aspect of Helm's Deep in the films, which is the elves showing up to assist, which is different from the books where they don't show up at all. I don't mind the change too much, as it doesn't yeah. really change the battle too much. But I do kind of prefer no. how it's done in the books, because I just love the idea of... They're just being these 300 men going up against an army of 10,000 mm. and prevailing in the end. And I just kind of, a bit, kind of... I don't know if it... it, it is it 300 men in the I book? seem to remember it being I don't know 300, if it is. about 300. Because I remember, they, I remember they being, them really struggling to find people. It's 300 in the film. Oh, yeah. But, but like, in the book, they've got Aemir. Aemir's with them at that point, so they have his company. Um, but, yeah, no, I know. It, it's... it's um, because it's Urkenbrand who arrives to save the day at the end with Gandalf. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I'll need to look at that. But yeah, no, the, the, the thing that I really love, as yeah, you're right. The, the bit that's really cool about Helm's Deep is, is this idea that they're conscripting all of the the very young and the very old um, to help defend yeah, which is, Helm's which Deep is, when everything's, you know. Which yeah. is kind of fitting because um, Tolkien, Tolkien, he fought in World War One, so I think that might have been inspired by his experiences in the war. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of Lord of the Rings was inspired by that as well. I think that Tolkien was deeply, deeply traumatised and he never oh. allowed this to come out too much in, in public um, because I was reading about that and it was literally like like all of his friends were massacred at the Battle of the Somme. And <laughs> like he, had a, he had a horrible time. And, um, yeah. and it's interesting... So I want to talk about uh, Theoden, played by Bernard Hill in this film. And Theoden is easily one of my favourite characters in the whole trilogy, mm. in the books and the films, but especially in the films, and Bernard Hill is yeah. a big part of that. And it was really interesting because I was watching it and there's the part when he says, because his, his son Feodred is killed, and oh, he yeah. says no parent, and he says no parent should have to bury their child. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful line. And then I realized it wasn't from Tolkien. That mm. was a line added in the film. But it feels it, very but Tolkien. But it was so strange no, because I was thinking, it, it does, because it feels very First World War, where an entire generation of young men, entire villages, were wiped out completely. You know, it was the, the whole Powell's regiment idea was one of the most disgusting things the government well, no, actually, no. The government did a lot of horrible things, but it was one of the most disgusting things the British government has ever done, was they, where they got a bunch of young people from villages all together, put them in a squad together, sent them over the top. Oh, look, they all got massacred. That village doesn't have any young people anymore. You know? Like, it was horrific what happened. Mm. And, and yeah, Tol and Tolkien was... Yeah, like, he experienced that himself. And I know he always said, I don't like al analogy... With, you know, allegory. Lord of the Rings isn't an allergy, but allegory, yeah, allegory, yeah. But it, ultimately, it's like, well, you know, dude, you you were a veteran in one of the most horrific wars, um, and you're writing about warfare, so he, I don't know. He has spoken about this as well. There's a video floating around <clears throat> on one of the documentaries I just mentioned, actually, where he did mm. say that death and the inevitable death, and you know that all men are doomed to die and whatnot, is a kind of a recurring motif in the books. Yeah, and, and you can tell that it has, as as Ewan's said, it seems like he was deeply affected by experiences in, in the war. So, 
Um, and you can you can see it in the book as well and in the films. Symbol Moon. Ever has it grown on the tombs of my forebears? Now it shall cover the grave of my son. Alas, that these evil days should be mine. The young perish and the old linger. That I should live to see the last days of my house. Cedra's death was not of your making. No parents should have to bury their child. In fact, the scene that we're discussing here with Theoden, um, you know, mourning his son, that is possibly my favourite scene in the whole entire movie. Yeah, and yeah. When no, I watched it, no, the it is cut... as well for me, yeah. Mm. Um, when I watched the cut edition, I actually was annoyed when I realised that they cut probably what my favourite scene is in the whole movie, which is the beautifully Of the funeral, yeah. 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 And yeah. Th- there's a song su- sung in Elvish. Oh, but mm. like The way, like, it's... Just, it's yeah, um, and it's just the saddest thing ever. And then it just kind of cuts mm. to him, like, holding up this, like, flower, just going, a simple murder, you know? It's just, like, yeah. the most heavy thing ever yeah. I've seen in any fantasy mm. media. So yeah, I was it, really annoyed. I actually I actually paused the cut edition and watched that <laughs> scene on YouTube. There you go. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not missing that. <laughs> no, but it, it, it is wonderful. Uh, and again, I think a lot of it goes to Bernard Hill's performance as Feoden. I think there's... I, I was saying to a friend of mine, what's so wonderful about Theoden in the film is that they give him so much of Tolkien's original dialogue, apart from the one mm. I mentioned, but so much of it is the Tolkien dialogue. And Bernard Hill just says it all so na- mm. so naturally. It's like you just, you just, it completely rolls off his tongue. You just think, oh yeah, this is how he speaks. Yeah. And this is how people speak in those days. Yeah, and it you, feel, you know, the character. only other person I think who does that as well, yeah, the only other person who does that as well as Ian McKellen as oh, Gandalf. Course, yeah. Um, but but the thing with Gandalf is Gandalf still has some kind of like goofy lines here and there. You know, like you know, like oh, fool of a took. You know, there's all these kind of like there's there's moments of levity with him. Yeah. Whereas yeah, Gandalf's a bit more. Theoden is life. played the- dead the- dead straight. Yeah, Theoden's more human. Yeah, yeah. Um, one. Feoden's more human, and he and he's and he's more, um, yeah, like he's more human, and he's played dead straight. Like there's no comedy bit with Feoden. Yeah, he is exactly. A very serious character, and that's what I love about you know yeah. he's a wonderful character to follow throughout yeah. both this film and and uh, Return of the King as well. I've got another change from Helm's Deep that I want to talk about. Well, one that wasn't actually used in the final film. Don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, I, I think I know what you're talking um, about. Originally, yeah. <laughs> um, alongside the elves, Arwen was going to show up to Helm's Deep and fight alongside Aragorn. Oh no, this wasn't what I was thinking of. Never mind. I get <laughs> why they wanted to do this. Because Lord of the Rings in general, I think because of the time it was mm. written, is very light on women. I think there's like three big women characters, which are Gladriel, Arwen and Eowyn. And they wanted to give Arwen kind of a more prominent yeah. action role. But I think if they'd kept it in, it right, would have detracted right. from Eowyn's story in the next movie because her whole big thing was she was yeah, allowed to fight yeah. because she was a woman and that's a big part of why she in, is such a big deal mm. that she killed the Witch King. Yeah, mm. yeah, well, she was the shield, maid, shield maiden of Rohan. Um, 
Yeah, no, I think I think what they did worked well. I like I personally like the fact that the elves pop up because I do think that it's it's when you're watching the films and you realize or, or when you're reading the books as well and you think, wow, there's a lot of elves and a lot of dwarves who aren't doing anything during this fight, mm. you know, and you think, wait a minute, isn't this the big fight to end everything? And I think to be fair to the books, they do mention that there were wars going on in Mirkwood and uh, and in Lothlorien as well. And, and, and the, the idea dwarves is are that, doing stuff know, as so, well. And I think Peter Jackson did, yeah. s- did so say he would have wanted to do the stuff with the dwarves if he had time. Yeah, so that, so there was stuff mentioned in the appendices, the idea that, yeah, there were battles going on elsewhere. Uh, but ultimately, it's like you're watching the films and you think, where are all the elves? Why are the, you know, like we keep seeing them every now and then. They're going, oh man, doesn't it suck that Middle-earth's dying? I guess we're going to fly off on our magic boat. And it's like, great, thanks a lot, you know, guys, that's great. You know, and you think, well, why can't you help us out a little bit? So I think, it, I yeah. think, it was, I think, I know what you mean, Rob. I, I love the idea of, yeah, the, this last stand of the Rohirrim, you know, and, and it's an incredibly desperate fight. But I like the fact that Haldir and and the the, the elves of Lothlorien arrive and 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 they just they just give them a bit of a leg up and they just go, don't worry guys, we're here too. Because otherwise, you just watch it and you go like, thanks elves, thanks dwarves, you did nothing. And then know? they didn't help um, in um, Pelennor Fields or the Black Gate. Well. Well, they, they, they knew... Well, El, no, but Elrond turns up with Anduril, the Flame of the West, and he says to Aragorn, Aragorn, go get those ghosts and get them to murder all the orcs, uh, which is a way better plan than what they had in the book, where they only help them take the boats, which is really stupid. And then <laughs> the... But then the films still screw up because they go, okay, you've helped us fight Pelennor Fields, and even though we have an invincible army... No, we won't just send you off into Mordor to fight. <laughs> anyway, this is literally uh, um, why didn't they fly the eagles to uh, to Mordor <laughs> criticism? But yeah, like why didn't why why, why didn't they use the ghosts to kill Sauron? <laughs> before we before we move on though, because it's relevant, the Ents. Can we quickly talk mm. about the Ents? And can we talk about Treebeard, who's my favourite character? Um, mm. So like. Oh my god, I love Treebeard so much because he's just such a kind of innocent character. Mm. But he's oh, like yeah. all the Ents, they're all kind of like they are representation, you know, they're representations of nature. Oh, yeah. John Reese yeah. and you see like great tree- Treebeard. Yeah. yeah, and literally there was a bit where like uh, they're just basically refusing to participate in the battle and stuff like that. And they're kind of like doddling old, you know, really innocent and lovely old men, basically. And they're just, mm. the way the dialogue um, from Treebeard is just so lovely. Like, when he's talking to Merry and Pippin, he's saying like, Oh, those, those wooden mice, they used to tickle me off. <laughs> and then, but then all of a sudden he sees like all the like dead trees. Yeah, um, that's so cool. And it kind of goes back, it goes back to what Ian was saying about, you know, Tolkien, you know, being deeply affected by, you know, the war and stuff like that. And he sees all his friends dying. He's like, many of these trees were my friends, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I knew them when I was an acorn. And it's like, and they yeah, had voices yeah, yeah. of their own. And that's when he realised it's a personal battle for him and he participates. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it was a very can, beautiful moment for me. Can, can I, Sorry, but can anyway, I, No, 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 can I, can I say I really love yes. uh, Pippin uh, coming up with the way to get 
uh, Treeper to go to go towards Isengard. I just love his yes. explanation where he's like, he's like, you know, um, the closer we are to him, the the, the it, it'll be the le the last thing he'll expect. Yeah. The closer we are to danger, and, and the further we goes, are from harm. That doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and then and then Treeper's just like. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me, but you are very small. <laughs> but perhaps you're right. You know. Yeah, and, and, and it's such a wonderful way to get them to realize, you know, this is a bigger fight. This is a big moment, you know, and the Ents. Mm. Again, again, why aren't the Elves involved? Why aren't the Dwarves involved? Why aren't the Ents involved? The Ents are these giant tree things that could totally take, take apart a bunch of Orcs. And uh, yeah, so it's wonderful seeing yeah, literally the trees turn up and destroy um, the industrial revolution. Uh, <laughs> again, no allegory here, folks. I will leave you at the western borders of the forest. You can make your way north to your homeland from there. Wait! Stop! Stop! Turn around! Turn around! Take us south! South? But that will lead you past Isengard. Yes. Exactly. If we go south, we can slip past Saruman unnoticed. The closer we are to danger, the further we are from harm. It's the last thing he'll expect. Doesn't make sense to me. But then you are very small. Perhaps you're right. Uh, south it is then. <laughs> Hold on, little shirelings. Oh. I always like going south. Somehow it, it feels like going downhill. Are you mad? We'll be caught! No, we won't. Not this time. Wilhelm was deeping the Rohan stuff is cool. I think my favourite stuff in this film is the quieter scenes with Frodo because this is the one where you can see mm. that he's clearly mm. becoming more worn down by the burden of carrying this ring. And we can see how it's changing him because mm. he's becoming more attached to it. You can see him clutching it in his sleep. And we can see it's also changing his personality mm. because he lashes out at Sam and near the end he pulls a sword yeah. on him and I think even Frodo is kind of realising how yeah. far he's gone and like at the end he's like oh, I can't do this Sam yeah. and like he's starting to trying to redeem mm. Gollum because he feels that Gollum is effectively a, a reflection of what he could become and I think that's um, what makes Gollum so yeah. interesting to me is he's what Frodo could become if Frodo faces like if if Frodo gets corrupted he's not going to become like Sauron which would be, happen if Gandalf got the ring he become like Gollum, and there's even a deleted yeah. scene. I think they filmed yeah. it, but they didn't use it. Whenever um, Faramir has a vision of Frodo as like kind of like turning into Gollum, and like the fit, and mm. like so Gollum has like full conversation with himself, and like that's not in the book really. Yeah. It's, it's hinted at in the book, but we don't really delve into it. And like, yeah. we get to see him is it, it's it is in the book, but not in the not in the fun yeah. way that they do it. Yeah, because you kind of just hear him muttering <laughs> to himself. He's, he's having he's having conversation. Yeah. yeah, he's having conversations with camera angles. Yeah, and <laughs> and we kind of see, see his thought process leading up to him deciding to portray Frodo and Sam 
to try and take the ring because mm. initially he's kind of really mm. conflicted. Like he's like, "No, oh, don't help them. We need. To- they stole it from us." But he's our friend. You don't have any friends. Yeah. They will cheat you, hurt you, lie. Master's my friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. Not listening. Not listening. Oh, poor Gollum. And of course, so um, and of course, Andy Serkis is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. wow. Hmm. Oh yeah. Now for this, I listened to so last year I listened to it, and I listened to a bit more of it here. So I listened to the 1981 radio drama of Lord of the Rings, uh, and all the Two Towers parts, and it was really interesting uh, listening to it. And, and one fun thing, so uh, Frodo and that was voiced by Ian Holm. Yes, and uh, Sam Bilbo, was Bill Nighy. And uh, Bill Bill Nighy, yeah. So there's some cool people, but. Uh, what was interesting with Gollum was that you got this sense of... First off, it was almost identical to the anti-circus one, which is kind of amazing. It makes you realise how distinctive the Gollum voice is, you know, like... Um, oh, yeah. He just sounded exactly like yeah, him in this 80s version. I remember him version. sounding terrible and in the, the other... um, uh, Basque version. Where is it, my precious? It's ours, it is, and we want it. Yeah, the Bakshi oh, version yeah. in general is like how not to do Lord of the Rings, I've decided. <laughs> uh, but the other big thing with Gollum is really interesting was the oath he makes to Frodo is really big in the radio version. Um, so he, he, you know, so there's this whole thing of him saying, we swears on, on the precious. And, you know, in the film, it's just kind of like, oh, Frodo just says, the ring is treacherous, it'll hold you to your word. In the radio, it's like the biggest, worst thing Gollum could ever do is swear on the ring that he'll, uh, you know, not harm the, uh, Frodo and uh, he won't, you know, and, and that he'll guide them to Mordor. Um, that it does feel like he's put a curse on himself by doing that and it's a really sinister moment i don't know it it just stood up to me it was very very cool um yeah this idea that the ring has this kind of power over everyone without them realizing it they'll say something like oh yeah i swear on the precious whatever no 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 Mm. the ring will hold you to that and that brings you on to the next thing i really want to talk about which is one of the big changes the film makes, which is around Faramir, because in the book, Frodo and Sam come across Faramir, mm. he finds out about the ring, but says he would not take it if it lay by the wayside, and then they part ways. But the film changes this for a few reasons. Sure. Like The first of these was they felt they couldn't really cut between Helm's Deep and Shelob's there, which wouldn't work because in the book it's handled differently because we follow Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli for half the book, and then we go to Frodo and Sam. And they also wanted to stick to Tolkien's timeline, yeah. which had Shelob's there happen concurrently with the invasion of Minas Tirith. And they felt Faramir just saying, oh, yeah, I won't yeah. have the ring, if, even if it laid by the wayside. It just stripped the ring of all power. So they needed to make Faramir more of an mm. obstacle. I know some people aren't fond of mm. this change, but I really like it. And I think 
it comes across better mm. in the extended edition because there's that flashback scene with Faramir and Boromir in Osgiliath, which adds humanity to Boromir yeah. and fully explains yeah. Faramir's motivations for taking the ring. And I've got a whole paragraph here talking about that because Boromir was told by his doting <laughs> Boromir was told by his doting father, "You can handle the ring. You're strong enough to do mm. so." And but Faramir yeah. was seen in the poor light by his yeah. father, who refuses to see any of his accomplishments and blames him for his skillyaf getting overrun. He doesn't wish to use the ring himself. He just sees it as a means to earn the respect he craves from his father. So when he sees the ring falling into his lap, he decides, yeah. I need to take this. I need to earn the respect of my father. So, this is the answer to all the riddles. Here in the wild, I have you. Two halflings and a host of men at my call. The ring of power within my grasp. Chance for Faramir, Captain of Gondor. To show his quality. And it's only when he sees the hold it has over Frodo to the extent that he's willingly hand it over to a Nazgul yeah. and attack his closest friend that he realises the importance of Frodo's quest and he realises is I cannot let anyone near this ring. Mm. The time for Faramir to prove his quality. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it's a big moment and uh, it's interesting because Faramir, you get the sense that he is, well, in, in the book they make a big deal out of him being uh, the wizard's pupil because he, he was quite, you know, uh, he was interested in Gandalf or Mithrandir, as he's called in Gondor. Um, so he was, he wasn't really a warrior was the thing about Faramir. He was more of a scholar or, you know, there's something about him that he wasn't, he wasn't Boromir. You know, mm -hmm. Boromir was the warrior and, um, and it's the great tragedy that Faramir didn't go in Boromir's stead, because if Faramir had gone, he probably would have been more like Aragorn and probably been able to resist the ring, whereas um, uh, Boromir wasn't able to. Uh, but, you know, as, as then Faramir then proves, is that he is able to resist the ring's power uh, when he does encounter Frodo and Sam. But, um... Yeah, no, it's the great, great tragedy, and and yeah, Denethor is so obsessed with this idea of, of Gondor using the ring against Sauron, and not realizing that that's part of Sauron's plan. The One Ring. Sildur's bane. Now it has fallen into the hands of the elves. Everyone will try to claim it. Men, dwarves, wizards, we cannot let that happen. This thing must come to Gondor. Gondor. It's dangerous, I know. Never the ring will seek to corrupt the hearts of lesser men, but you, you are strong. And our need is great. It is our blood which is being spilled. Our people who are dying. Sauron is biding his time. He's massing fresh armies. He will return. And when he does, we will be powerless to stop him. You must go. Bring me back this mighty gift. Oh, no. My place is here with my people. Not in Rivendell. Would you deny your own father? There's need to go to Rivendell. Send me in his stead. 
you? <laughs> oh, I see. A chance for Faramir, Captain of Gondor, to show his quality. I think not. I trust this mission only to your brother. There is a detail in the extended yes, edition. And Treeby gets like uh, loads of where he Tom is from the books. Yeah, he gets a bit of Tom Bombadil dialogue, but also we meet uh, Old Man Willow in the uh, in the extended cut. Old Man Willow is a, is a tree. It is yeah. In in the book, Old Man Willow is a tree in the old forest, which is up north by the Shire, where um, it's this old, ancient, and very evil tree that the hobbits get uh, ensnared in. It likes it likes uh, ties them up in its roots and starts to like you know trap them. Uh, and we see a little bit of that in the extended cut, where one of the, I think it's one of the Huorns. They called Huorns uh, one of the trees. Uh, that can move and speak, uh, uh, that the Ents look after, uh, traps uh, Merry and Pippin inside in, in mm. Fangorn. So it's a nice little, it's a nice little reference and to Old Man Willows. So there you go, everyone. Yeah, and Treebeard Tree rescues him like kind Tom of. Bombadil does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, really, Ex exactly, yeah. exactly. Another thing I really like is Sam's speech in Oskiliath, which is mostly from the book, although it takes mm. place in Sirithungal in the books, and of. It starts Sam saying, it's yeah. kind of a wink because they don't go to a skilly app in the books. Um, Sam says, oh, by all mm. rights, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. But I love the way the film yeah. has a speech over the triumph of Helm's Deep and the fall of Saruman. It's really fitting Sam's talking about how all, it's lovely. Yeah, all the stories yeah. that had these parts where, the, where it got really scary, didn't want to know the end, and all the heroes could have turned back, but they all persevered and good came at, in the end. And it was just... It just feels so perfect. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. The shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? There's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. Then, of course, after he's had the whole part with um, Sam and Frodo talking about, oh, what if we get put into stories? And um, Frodo calls Sam, Sam wears the braids and, say, and says, oh, I wouldn't have got very far without Sam. And I think that's really important because it sets up yeah. Sam and Sam's eventual step into heroism in the next movie. Well, Tolkien intended Sam to be the hero uh, from yeah, what exactly. I've heard and read. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I wonder if we'll ever be put into songs or tales. 
What? I wonder if people will ever say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, it's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was really courageous, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy. The most famousest of hobbits. And that's saying a lot. You've left out one of the chief characters. Samwise the Brave. I want to hear more about Sam. Frodo wouldn't have got far without Sam. Now, Mr. Frodo, you shouldn't make fun. I was being serious. So was I. Um, one thing I wanted to... I forgot to mention this earlier when I was talking about the Ents, but I think it's the funniest scene in the whole movie, um, where where they release the water of the dams, essentially, and all the Ents are like, hold strong, and they all like kind of like, just like, kind of... Oh, is that the where the one that's on fire like that. like, puts, his, puts his head yeah, up? Yeah, there's that one Ent that... Yeah, there's that one end that's been set on fire, and like every, all the other ends are like, stand strong, and there's that one end that's like, oh, thank God, I can put my hair up fire. Yeah, I remember, when I saw I the film, I remember seeing that when I saw the film in the cinema, and, just, and thinking that was funny as well. Mm. Yeah, it's no, that's great. It's the best moment, because I was very upset seeing the end get set on fire, so it was nice to know that he's... That he's Imagine rescued. what he's thinking, like, oh, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, exactly, exactly. And, and, and it's interesting watching it, and you realise, wow, I don't want any of the ants no, to get exactly. harmed. I really like the ants. Yeah. As we mentioned earlier, the Two Towers also provided us with one of the better movie time games, which is a, the Two Towers video game. is a mm. hack and slash action game with light RPG elements and levels based around both Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers, as I mentioned earlier, because I think EA, who made the game, they didn't want to rush out a Fellowship of the Ring game. Um, they wait, waited a year and focused their time on making a game based on the Two Towers with levels based on Fellowship of the Ring. And you play through the game as Aragorn, Legs and Gimli, and you unlock numerous interviews throughout with actors who voice their characters in the game. I remember. I used to really laugh at Ian McKellen's one because he talks about how he can't play video games because he's got very large and clumsy hands. <laughs> yeah, and the, I remember the, I had the Game Boy Advance one as well, which was a bit different. It was more of a top-down, isometric, Diablo-style RPG. But I liked it because Frodo was my favourite character as a kid and you could play as Frodo. And it, was a, it was a fun time. Um, I only completed it last year because I was terrible at games as a kid. I, I have never played a video game in my life. I can never understand the rules. I've got very large and clumsy hands and uh, not quite the hand-mind uh, coordination that I think is necessary, which seems to be available to everyone under the age of six. Favourite characters before we wrap up? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um... I'm gonna just jump in and say Gimli. I think Gimli's amazing. Um, he's the best one, and um, he's just a lot of fun. Um, I feel like all the other characters take themselves very seriously, whereas you know Gimli's a sweetheart, and yeah, it's funny because he is my least played character in the PS2 <laughs> game. Uh, I always played. It's, uh, now I kind of regret that. I feel like, oh, you know, Gimli would have been a great. Character I was always Aragorn. Else, but I was always. Yeah, I was always Aragorn or Dissilador or Legolas. Uh, obviously, Decidador's the unlockable character in that game. Um, but Gimli's just like, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He wants the best for everyone. He treasures his mm. friendships. And he will, I think, even though he's proud and stuff like that, he will put aside his pride for the greater good. You know, as 
we've mentioned before, there's a scene where it says, you have to toss me. There's that moment where it's just like, I'm a proud dwarf, but at the end of the day, like I've got to take out these orcs. <laughs> I know I'm short, just toss me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, mad respect to Gimli. Okay, so mine, I think last time I said I cheated at three characters. So my favourite characters in the trilogy is Hawar, Gandalf the Grey, Aragorn and Samwise. But I think specifically, if we're talking about Two Towers, I'd say, possibly based on like my recent rewatch, is um, Faramir, because of all the things I mentioned earlier, I liked... Um, how he was different from Boromir, and even and like even his motivations for getting the ring were different. He wasn't like fully corrupted. He just basically saw it as a means to square things with the father, who refused to acknowledge his accomplishments. And I liked how even like when it got when things got to that point, he was able to realize, no, this is not a good thing. I I need to make sure this ring gets destroyed as as these hobbits are intending. Yeah, it's interesting to think that with Faramir, yeah, as the idea that he had no personal interest in the ring himself beyond what it could get him uh, with his relationship to his father, which is really interesting. It doesn't, you know, he doesn't want any of the magic of the ring itself. Uh, yeah, no, I really liked Faramir, and watching this again, I did, yeah, I really enjoyed those scenes with him. And uh, I was also thinking I really liked... Um, the line where we see the fallen Haradrim warrior and Faramir uh, gives a little speech about, um, you know, where did the Harad, Harad warrior come from? Was he really evil at heart? And uh, that was actually Sam who said that in the books. But I, I like that it's Faramir saying it because it kind of I, brings in this. Again, this is in the this is in the extended edition, sadly. But um, I like the idea that Faramir is a bit more thoughtful about the people he's fighting. And yeah, anyway, so I really like Faramir. But my favorite, yeah, is easily Feoden, uh in Two Towers. I think he is such a wonderful character. I think Bernard Hill brings so much to the role. Uh, you get the wonderful scene of. Um, uh, you know, where is the horse and the rider? Which again, that was Aemir who said that in the uh, in the book. But here, here's Feoden saying it in a perfect moment mm. when all of the Rohir when all the Rohirrim are, are preparing themselves for, for battle. And you know, um, uh, how has how has it come to this? You know, it, it's such a wonderful build up to a really desperate battle. Um, and even even with the inclusion of the elves, things are still falling apart, yeah. you know, and, and there's not not much hope for them. Uh, I just want to give a brief shout out to uh, Grima putting his candle up towards the gunpowder, and Saruman quickly like pushing the candle away uh, as a fun favorite <laughs> comedy moment. Uh, um, brilliant! I, I I just think that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, so, oh, and I, I've decided that Saruman and Grima are a, an old married gay couple, <laughs> and I think that that explains their that explains their dynamic a lot when you're watching it. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so that's me. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think we're done. Um, <laughs> so this is our last episode of the year of 2022. Thank you to everyone who's taken time to listen to our podcast this year, even if you've only listened to one episode. Um, but before we go, we have some announcements to make regarding how we're going to be going forward in 2023. So, James, would you like to take the floor and announce the first of yeah. these big changes? 
Yep. Um, so I am leaving the podcast, unfortunately. Um, and it is my own choice, basically, in that I've had a lovely time on the podcast. Uh, I think we've been doing this for about a year or two years. How two, long have we been two, two years. Two years. Yeah. Two years. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I made the decision to leave. And I'm leaving because I have a lot of other creative projects that I want to give my time and energy to. And as much as I love the podcast and I've had a great time doing it, and I enjoy, you know, um, taking this time out of the month to speak with Robin Ewan. Um, the demand of the podcast became rather overwhelming for me as I'm in a different position now from when, I, when we started. When we started the podcast, I was essentially not working. It was in a lockdown, you know, we were locked indoors, not as busy as I am now, mm. and did have as many ideas as I do now. And I thank the podcast for this um, because a lot of the things suggested, I, for instance, I wouldn't have discovered the Fallout games or She Ra or Stingray or Reboot. The things we've talked about like, have been really inspiring. The conversations we've had have been very inspiring and important for me as an artist and storyteller. Um, I feel like when I started, I didn't have really much idea about where I wanted to go creatively. And now doing the podcast has been like the next, you know, the huge stepping to stone towards what I want to do. I don't, I didn't have as many ideas as I do now. And it's because of the podcast that I do have these ideas. And now I work full time. I have a lot of you know other creative tasks it's been difficult to maintain this every month and i have again enjoyed the podcast i think it's a very very important stepping stone uh, especially in the creative department i do i hope to you know continue enjoying the podcast as a fan uh because i love bluecast it's it's one of the things i'm really really passionate about and i know rob and ewan being as creatively talented intelligent and just awesome as they are they're going to do amazingly I know they, uh, um, uh, I won't get into the other announcements just yet. I won't forget my time here. I'm very, very sad to go. And it's been a very warm and positive experience. Yeah. And I hope, you know, I, I do hope to, you know, in any way I can, I hope to help with the podcast. But yeah, I'll be leaving as a host and that's it. Okay, we'll miss you, James. Of course, it's been a lot of fun doing this podcast for you for yeah. like two and a half years now, I think, coming up on close enough mm, yeah but, however crazy. the blue must go on as mm. it were and me and Ewan will be <laughs> back next year with a new co-host but a few other changes because obviously we've been enjoying doing the show and we've been pretty consistent we're getting episodes out to you all on a monthly basis but however I think this year particularly because obviously mm. we started in the pandemic where everything was shut and now obviously things are all open we've got a lot more things going on not just with work but you know like personal lives and other stuff going on but we've, we've, we've been finding it harder and harder to get the episodes out for the month and it's been getting more challenging to get episodes out mm. on, on time that suits everything else that we've got going on outside so next year we're cutting down the amount of episodes that we're going to do so instead of um, having one episode every month there'll be now be one episode every three months so you'll get four episodes a year but we hope this will give the episodes a bit more breathing room meaning we can get them out at a relaxed pace and hopefully that extra time will result in the episodes being of much better quality as they have a bit more breathing room as i said earlier so with that in mind myself ewan and our new co-host will be back in march to discuss Captain Scarlet will be returning to the world of Super Mario Nation. Oh my god. <laughs> yep, we'll be returning to the world of Super Mario Nation to discuss Jerry Anson's darkest series, 
where the main character dies in half the episodes and Earth is menaced by invisible aliens. Yeah, I know nothing. I know nothing about this series, so this is going to be very fun. Uh, I look forward to it. It'll be good. I look forward to listening into it as a fan. Okay, so yeah, until March, the Bluecast bids you farewell and, of course, happy 2023. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Happy, ha Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Bye. Final bye from me. Bye. Can I just say something really quickly? Because I completely forgot to mention it. Um, this is the two towers in reference to Orphank and uh, Baradur, right? Uh, but in the in the books, it's Minas Tirith and Minas Morgul. But Minas Morgul doesn't appear in the film. So anyway, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. All right, bye everyone. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boy. Thank you for listening to Bloobcast. We've been Rob, James and Ewan. You can find all of our episodes on Bloobcast.com. We're also available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel where we produce shorter episodes called Bloobnets, where we discuss the latest news in popular culture. You can find us on social media with at Pod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Please like, follow and subscribe so you can get the latest updates on new episodes. We also have an email address, which is bloobcast.outlook.com. So if you have any feedback or want to suggest things for us to review in our future episodes, please feel free to drop us an email and you'll get a shout out on the next episode. Please also rate and review us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. More engagement helps us a lot. And finally, please share the podcast amongst your friends and family. Help spread the word so that the Bloobcast Empire can become strong and mighty.